Happy New Year, super friends. My name is Neil, and welcome to this episode 66 of the Get Your Comic On podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV, and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy, Wanda Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, listeners. Happy New Year, listeners. We hope you've had a wonderful and restful festive period. Happy holidays. And uh, it's time to get back to work, sadly. So here we are with what was going to be the last podcast of 2021 uh, and is now the last podcast of that year and the first podcast of 2022. So we're going to be looking back and looking forwards this episode as well as discussing a couple of films that came out over the festive period in the form of The Matrix Resurrections from Warner Brothers Pictures and Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios' Spider-Man No Way Home. So no news this week. We are just wrapping things up for the end of the year, kicking things off for this year and we'll see where we go from there. So I'm going to start things off this episode because I thought you might need some time to sort of thinky a little bit. But I'm basically, the format of our wrap-up of 2021 is I want to know from you your favourite movie, your favourite TV series, and your favourite thing that you have read. It was going to be comic book, but I know you've read a lot more books than I have in the last 12 months, so it can be your favourite thing that you have read. So we actually have a post which is coming out on the website where a few of us from across the team give our favourites from across the year. It's quite funny because best laid plans, we prepped this in uh, November, so before Spider-Man came out. So uh, in the written piece, my favourite film of the year is The Suicide Squad, uh, but actually I think my favourite film of the year is probably Spider-Man No Way Home. But I won't talk about that too much because we're going to talk about it at the end of this podcast. So for me, film of the year, Spider-Man No Way Home. My TV show of the year, I have put as... Well, actually, what do you think I put as my TV show of the year? Oh, I don't know. Something Hawkeye. Sorry, I took a really hot swig of tea. Uh, no, I put Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2. Mm. I think that has been my most enjoyed TV show of the year. I would like to say Star Trek Discovery Season 4, which... Uh, if you're watching in the UK, is currently on a mid-season break and is streaming episodes weekly on Pluto TV. But I think because we're only halfway through the season, I don't really feel like I can say it's my favourite show because I've not seen how the whole thing plays out yet. So I've gone with Lower Decks. But honourable mentions to Titans, Doom Patrol, Dope Sick, all things we talked about on this podcast before. And then my comic book of the year, because I really did only read one and a half books in 2021. Uh, so I've gone with the comic book of the year, which is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from Boom Studios. Because they've been doing this huge multiversal arc thing this year, which everyone wants a multiverse, but, you know, actually they've done it really, really well. And it's been a really interesting read with some really great artwork. So my book of the year has been Boom Studios' Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well. Which you don't actually read. No. Very sad. That was surprisingly quicker than I thought it was going to be, so I'm going to have to make you talk about The Matrix and Spider-Man for a protracted amount of time. Uh, so, The Matrix Resurrections is in UK cinemas now, and in the US is in cinemas and available to stream via HBO Max. The film stars Keanu Reeves, Carrie-Anne Moss, I tried to do this off the top of my head, uh, Jonathan Groff, Jessica Henwick, uh, and, oh, what can I remember her name? Fish Mooney from Gotham... Um, Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, Yaha Abdul Mateen as the new Morpheus. And this film is written and directed by Lana Wachowski. If you want to hear our thoughts on the original Matrix trilogy, then head back to our previous podcast, if you've not already listened, where we did a bit of a, a talk over the legacy of the Matrix. So I don't want to linger on, on kind of thoughts of the previous films. 
I've had the chance to see Resurrections twice now. You've seen this film once. Uh, I'm going to kick off with you. What are your thoughts on this return to the world of the Matrix? I don't know. Why don't you know? I don't know. So it's mixed feelings then? Yeah. What What about it is mixed for you? All of it. Okay. Uh, were there elements of it that you genuinely did enjoy? Um... You can say no. No, I don't know. I did not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. Okay, let's dive into that a little bit more then. So what what was missing for you, or what feels like the sort of ballpark area that made it very mixed in terms of a result? Well, I didn't really... It didn't really need to happen, did it? No, I do think there is a definite sense of unnecessariness to this sequel. But then, is that part and parcel of what the sequel is even trying to tell you because we know from interviews with Lana Wachowski that you know she says that every single year since the Matrix trilogy wrapped up Warner Brothers has come back to to both the Wachowskis and said when are you going to make another one and that it reached a point where the studio was saying we're going to make one with you or without you so get on board or just you know f off and we're going to do something with the Matrix without you and that that's why Lana then said well okay it's kind of my baby, you know, it's mine and Lily's, so if anyone's going to make a new Matrix film, it's going to be me. And that's why you have such pointed moments in the film, such as them saying, you know, the Matrix being, oh, I should say spoilers, potentially, for the Matrix Resurrections, and also Spider-Man when we get to talk about it. Uh, You know, when we learn that Neo's now a games designer, and he made the Matrix as a game, and the studio that is funding it is Warner Brothers, and Jonathan Groff's character says, you know, Warner Brothers are going to make another game with or without us. So it kind of feels like it was, you know, even I think even Lana felt it was unnecessary to a degree, and so made a film about how unnecessary sequels are. Because I think it's, I think that's part of the the metaness of it when they talk about how bland sequels are and how bland reboots are, and yet this is kind of a bland sequel reboot at the same time. Yeah, it's very weird. I feel like wrapped up in it somewhere is just Lana sticking up a middle finger to Warner Brothers and saying, "Well, I'm going to make a film, but I'm going to make a film that." takes the piss out of the entire reason you want me to make this film. It's very much a romance this time around, and although there is still action, I guess there's kind of less action than there is in some of the previous films, and there's much more of a focus on Neo and Trinity, or Thomas and uh, Tiffany, and how that relationship is important to what happens within the Matrix. So what did you think about that? I suppose it's, it's an interesting take on how their romance has developed to be something more than the one are now like the two or together they are the one yeah it was weird. yeah i don't really i didn't fully get it because it was never really a thing in the first three but and i was supposed the journey that they've been on they've sort of become this unstoppable force of love i know what you mean there is a there's a counterbalance in the power isn't there that it was always that there is this prophecy of the one neo is the one neo has the power and now we're kind of saying, actually, it could be a woman who has the power, not necessarily a man who has the power. This feels a lot more gender neutral and uh, there's a lot more positive representation on how the power is shared out between the, the people who are involved. And I think you get that as well with Bugs, Jessica Henwick's character, obviously being the audience's way in and she's kind of the one that brings all of the events of this film together. And again, that's now a female character rather than Morpheus although Morpheus again still exists he almost feels less important here than he he was in the original trilogy 
It's a very different Morpheus as well, wasn't it? What were your thoughts on how they handled that? I thought that was interesting. Did he not want to come back, or did they just not invite him? I believe he says he wasn't asked. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I read an interview with the the script writer. Uh, so it was co-written. Uh, Lana co-wrote it with a couple of other people. Um, and I've read some interviews where they said that there was, it was always planned to be a different Morpheus. They felt like it would be disingenuous to just bring everyone back as they were and continue. They felt like there needed to be some sort of shift in what had happened. Which I guess is kind of similar to what they did with Agent Smith. So apparently there were talks at one point to bring back uh, the original actor as Agent Smith. It, that's terrible. It's, his name's gone out, out of my head. Um, but I guess presumably at some point it was decided either that that character should move on as well or he wasn't interested enough to come back and play him again. And that's when Jonathan Groff becomes involved. I do like Jonathan Groff though. He did a very good job. I only really know him from um, Glee and that musical, Hamilton. Um, so I've never really seen him in an action role. So I was impressed to see him throw down with Keanu Reeves and actually hold himself really well in a fight. I think of him as more of a comedy musical actor than somebody who has a sort of physical presence that's quite foreboding. So I thought he did a really good job. And the fight scene between the two of them was amazing as well. You met Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. Um, he really surprised me in this film. I've never, again, seen him do evil. I've only ever seen him be comic as well. And I feel like he mixed that with being a bit dastardly quite well. He could do sinister, definitely can do sinister well. Well, he did Doctor Horrible, so... True, but then again, even then, he was that was a comedic role. He was still evil. True. We talked about this in our last podcast, but a lot of the complaints about the sequels were that it became more quite convoluted, where it felt maybe not straightforward in the first film, but more straightforward than it all became once they threw in all the other elements in the second and third one. Did this feel any more straightforward? Did it feel still as convoluted as it was in Revolutions and Reloaded? It felt quite dense. Yeah. That it was a matrix within a matrix. is not really a matrix... And then there's sort of the machine war in the background that wasn't really touched upon that much. The interesting thing for me was, I feel like in the in the second and third films, they didn't do a great job on what, particularly in the third film, on what was happening outside of the Matrix. I felt like when you watch those sequels, the stuff inside the Matrix is great and the stuff outside is a bit messy. Whereas in this film, I almost felt like it was the opposite. It felt like inside the Matrix was a bit messy. And yet they had a, a reasonably good handle on what was happening in... IO and the new kind of outside the Matrix world that they've been building. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Taking it back, I guess, uh, a step to just more of the production, uh, this film seems less green, <laughs> less of the green filter across all of the imagery. Uh, but what did you think about kind of fight scenes, VFX, and stuff in this film? This is obviously a long way on from where we were when they invented bullet time and did those first films, CGI has come a long, long, long way. How do you feel about the production on this film? It was very good. They did a very good job of it. Um, they, I like how they poked fun at bullet time at one point. Yep. I mean, they did. They poked fun at themselves a lot for the legacy of The Matrix. It's Which is, I think, why it's so difficult to place this film in terms of what it is and what it means and what it's trying to say. But that's just The Matrix in a nutshell, really, isn't it? I think if you go into this hoping for something as groundbreaking as the first Matrix, like they're going to completely reinvent the wheel again, I think you'll be disappointed because this doesn't reinvent anything particularly. 
I mean, it does for the characters, but not in terms of the filmmaking process. There's nothing revolutionary here, is there? Yeah. I don't know if that... Does that add to the disappointment factor for you? Do you feel like you were hoping for the first Matrix again? Or, you know, something as revolutionary as that? Well, we kind of got the first Matrix again. <laughs> I mean, in, sorry, I mean, in terms... I didn't explain myself very well. In terms of the... You go into it not really knowing what it's going to be and come out of it thinking, wow, that was something completely new and fresh for cinema in terms of the things that it does and what it, how it's made and what plays out on screen. I don't know. In a way, I kind of wanted a prequel. Oh, really? Go back a bit and see some of the stuff from the Animatrix filled in. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. interesting. How did we get the Matrix? Yeah. Keanu Reeves has now said that he would be game for, for returning again and making a fifth one, but he said as far as conversations go and his understanding of the situation, there's absolutely no way in hell they'll ever get the Wachowskis back for another one. It feels like that's it. The door is closed. So it would have to be Warner Brothers making it with someone not from the original team. And I just, I don't know. I kind of hope that they don't actually do that. Yeah. They don't want another Star Wars on their hands. But then I suppose there's always the chance that someone else gets their hands on it uh, who is a huge fan of the original and digs into that mythology and does it better. Maybe the Wachowskis, I mean, I know Lily wasn't involved with this one, but um, maybe Lana was too close to it. I mean, you only have to see the end credits to see that she dedicated the film to to their mum and dad who passed away in the last couple of years and that that was the thing that brought her back was that she felt that Neo and Trinity brought her some comfort in the loss of her parents because they were two other people that were very important in her life that she loved. So you can also argue that there's a romanticism in her mind to the characters which is part of the reason why she came back and maybe why this film ended up being more of a romantic picture of the two of them because she was almost working through some of her own grief issues by making the film. That sounds very clever. (laughs) One last point just before we move on from this one. Uh, Is there a nostalgia factor for you in this or do you think it moved the whole thing on too far that nostalgia ended up kind of not being a thing? There's probably too much nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Too much of it. A lot of people have kind of pointed at the first act of the film as being really really good and then it kind of drifting off from there and that first act is where they touch on a lot of moments from the original films so I don't know was is that reflective of your experience of it maybe I need to see it again this I would like to actually see it in IMAX because I would like to see what the visuals look like on the on a really really big screen I do think there's something to be said for how much it reuses footage and dialogue from the other films and whether and it's it's funny actually because when you think about how much people maybe this isn't an experience of yours because you didn't you know film school it like I did um, people analyze the matrix a lot philosophically you know from so many different perspectives people analyze the the subtext and everything from within that first film and less so two and three because it feels like they they kind of they're a little bit more as I said, convoluted, but also a little bit easier to see through what's going on. I kind of feel like this film, whether it ends up being entirely successful or not, will end up being discussed almost as much as the first film because you can dig into it so much. I mean, you could suggest that it was lazy that they reused footage and reused dialogue, but you could also suggest that it's completely genius that they were communicating to you as the viewer that everything was repeating itself because the matrix had been restarted because certain points were being repeated 
So there's, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this film and try and dissect it. And I feel like it will end up being talked about a lot, but maybe not necessarily for the right reasons. Hmm. Okay, that's probably enough on The Matrix. Would you recommend it? I think so. <laughs> Fence. Purely very much sitting on it. If you've seen the first three, I mean, why not? Oh, actually, okay, one more question then. Um, if you hadn't seen the first three films, or if someone said to you, I've not seen the first three Matrix films, would you recommend this film? No. I think that's, so that's, I think, a very important point. I think this is very much for people who have an understanding of the Matrix and a working knowledge of those first three films. I don't think there is much to to get out of it if you're not already a fan, which is probably the biggest disservice to this film. I would recommend it. I think there's... I did enjoy it. I I don't think it's quite as successful as I hoped or that it did exactly what I hoped it was going to do, but I think it's a it's a worthwhile watch. I'm not sure it's one that I will often go back to once it's out on home video, but it's... I think it's an improvement on the third film of the previous trilogy. I think in terms of my ranking of The Matrix, it would be like one, two, four, three for me. I think Revolutions still falls quite flat. Would you agree with that? I would agree. <laughs> so as I said at the top of this, The Matrix Resurrections is in cinemas globally now, and in the US you can also stream it via HBO Max. So, coming back to closing out 2021, I would like to know from you, Boy Wonder, your favourite film, your favourite TV show, and your favourite thing which you have read. Should we start with film? Okay. What was your favourite film of 2021? So it was quite hard to pin down because I don't remember them. So I'm going to have to say Spider-Man. Okay. You don't have to give reasoning because we're going to talk about Spider-Man in just a second after you've given me the rest of your choices so we can dig into that a bit more. TV show. What's been your favourite TV show of 2021? I'm going to have to say Dope Sick. Okay, well, again, you don't have to say very much to elaborate on that because we covered it in our last podcast. So if you do want to hear both of our thoughts on the wonderful Dope Sick, which is available to stream in the US on Hulu and globally via Disney+, Plus, then go back and check out episode 65. Very good. And then lastly, your favourite thing, what you have read in 2021. What I have read? Yes. Uh, what have I read this year? I've read quite a lot this year. I'm going to go with King Bullet by Richard Cadre final book in the Sandman Slim series? Yes. Okay. Or it may not be. We don't know. Oh, okay. I thought it was. Well, it was billed as the final book, but it ended in a way that it could it might come back as something else. So oh, okay. Know. Fair enough. Uh, I think it's the last one because he's on 12 now. So So why was this your favourite book of the year? You can give us some context on this one. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's just my favourite series overall, really. So it was nice to ha- for it to have a, a conclusion and an end to his story, really. Hmm. which is very nice it's kind of hard to say because it is book 12 yeah uh, so i don't want to give too much away but essentially he is a man in a magical world he gets sent to hell he comes back and stuff happens stuff happens maybe one day they'll make a film out of it or a tv series well they have sold the rights but they've never done anything with it so. <laughs> okay well thank you very much that was that was quite painless well done and so one last film to talk about that was released in 2021 uh, you may have heard of it uh, Sony Pictures Spider-Man No Way Home which is eating up every screen in every cinema to the tune of 1.4 billion dollars so far uh, Spider-Man No Way Home 
do I need to I need to be careful with this cast list, don't I? Uh, so Spider-Man No Way Home stars Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Batalon, John Favreau, Jamie Foxx, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Benedict Wong, Tony Revolori, Marissa Tomei, and I will stop there. Uh, so if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, I would suggest that you stop this podcast now and come back later when you've had a chance to watch it because we will inevitably touch on some major moments from the film. If you've seen it, then hopefully you won't mind us discussing the fact that this film also stars Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Does it? Yes, it does. Okay, where do you want to start unpacking this one? Did you enjoy Spider-Man No Way Home? I did. What did you enjoy about Spider-Man No Way Home? I think everything, really. I mean, it's just... It's a damn good film. Was there anything you didn't uh, appreciate or didn't really like in it? I mean, there were a couple of scenes I didn't like just because it was sad. Yeah. <laughs> Anything sort of narratively or production-wise that you, you thought were not great choices? No. That's good. So this was a this was a wholly enjoyable project for you. Wholly. <laughs> As it was for me. So I can't believe we've not been back to see it. Although, to be fair, there's been two bouts of COVID since then and Christmas and New Year. So, you know, maybe this week we'll finally go back and watch it again. Right. Uh, so... Th- <laughs> Oh, I'd like to watch it in luxury. I'd like a reclining seat. Okay, very... There we go. So this film is kind of not just the culmination of Tom Holland's trilogy of movies from Homecoming to Far From Home to No Way Home plus his adventures in kind of Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. It also is tying up a lot of storylines left open from both the original Spider-Man trilogy 2002 onwards from Sam Raimi the two Amazing Spider-Man movies by Mark Webb. So you've kind of got characters from the Tobey Maguire era, the Andrew Garfield era, as well as the the Tom Holland era, all wrapped up in what's going on in this film. Uh, So it very much had the chance that it could have been too busy, which Spider-Man 3 films often... Well, in fact, Spider-Man sequels, let's say, often are. So Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3 was, you know, much maligned for the fact that it had Sandman, it had... Venom and it had what was going on with Harry as well that film was kind of deemed incredibly busy for that reason and then you had the amazing Spider-Man 2 of Andrew Garfield's which had Electro in it as well as again Harry turning into the Goblin what was happening with Gwen Rhino was stuffed in there for a while as well and then the unfolding mystery of what was going on with Peter's parents in that film so how do you feel this to this dealt with the kind of the busyness and the the sheer volume of of speaking parts in the main cast. I think it did it very well. I think these films have had a lot of practice in managing a big cast. That's very true, yep. So they did they did a good job. And how do you feel about the the villains that they chose to use in this film? There was a lot of people that were hoping for a Sinister Six, which is a thing that we know Sony has tried to get off the ground as its own film a couple of times. We didn't get six villains here, we got five. Technically there's a sixth if you encounter the end credit scene which we'll talk about in a minute um but there isn't kind of a team up of six villains it's a team up of of five in in some respect were they good choices from across the franchise i think they were it was an interesting choice in that they used them well but they did it in a in a clever way i think one thing that's worth pointing out is there were no villains from tom holland's era Oh yeah, there was no... Didn't bring back Vulture 
or um, Mysterio, we very much didn't introduce any new villains. We we really stuck to that core group of five from across the multiverse. So uh, interesting that they felt that they, they didn't need to bring back... I mean, Vulture's back in Morbius anyway, but they, they didn't retouch on any of the people that Holland has faced. Sorry, anyway, continue your point. I don't know what my point was now. You've taken me off the point. <laughs> uh, how well they used them. Oh, they used them very well. <laughs> Again, I'm swigging my tea. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, did you have a favourite of the villains that we used here? Did I have a favourite villain? Or a least favourite? Um... Now, hmm. I like them all. Okay. How about the way they kind of staggered the introductions of them? Did that work well? Or did you feel like the film was kind of just going, right, let's set up this one, and then we'll lurch towards this one, and then this one, and then this one? No, I think they did it very well, and they had good pacing. So it wasn't a case of you had to get introduced to them all over again. It yeah. was a case of, oh, they're there. Yeah, there is a reliance on you knowing who they are from previous films, which is a brave move, because obviously we are... 20 years on from Tobey Maguire's first appearance as Spider-Man, so, you know, 20 years since Willem Dafoe played the Green Goblin, you can't necessarily guarantee that every person in your audience is going to have seen that film. I suppose knowing he was going to be in it gives people a chance to go back and explore it, but you can't always guarantee that everyone is going to know who all those characters are, so I think that's a that's a brave move. Oh, he was a good villain, wasn't he? I forgot about him. Yeah. yeah. He was a good gob. Back then or now? Or both? Both. both. <laughs> Um, how about then how they used them in the storyline? Do you feel like this... I, okay, let's just talk multiverse for a minute. Now, we all knew from previous announcements that the next Doctor Strange film would be the Multiverse of Madness. That film was supposed to come out before this, so Spider-Man was supposed to follow on. So the multiverse should have already had whatever happened in Doctor Strange before this film, and they had to kind of retool it for that very reason. But... Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. But, and I need you to listen to me and stop tapping with your iPad for a minute. Um, <laughs> we obviously Sassy. we obviously all had moments where we thought that Wonder was going to break the multiverse with what was happening in WandaVision and the fact that that changed decades. Then we all thought that Loki was going to break the multiverse because obviously we had the idea of variants introduced there and Loki ended with the universe having changed and altered and been different. We then had what happened in the post credit scene in Venom that people felt was tied to the spell from Spider-Man, which obviously does get explained here. But it kind of feels like we've had several points where it's been like, oh, so that's why the multiverse is broken. Oh, no, wait, it's going to be here. Oh, no, wait, it's here. And now we finally get it. Did did they pay it off well in this film? Was it explained enough that you understood how people were where they were and how they came from where they came from? Did it make sense? Well, no, I don't think it does. You've explained it all. Oh, how come? Well, I mean, they just can't make their mind up, can they? What's broken the multiverse? Is that Wanda? Is it... Well, so there was no reason for Wanda to have broken it in the end, which is why in the trailer for Multiverse of Madness, she thinks he's going to her about what happened in the TV show. And he's like, no, I'm not here about that. It's, it seems like it's squarely on Doctor Strange, which means Loki is a bit of an outlier, or all these things have happened at the same time. Well, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? I mean, maybe there's just too much. Maybe it's like fiddling with the TV era when you've got five people fiddling with five four different parts of it. True, yep. Maybe it's like a, an accumulation of all of them. <laughs> so bringing the focus into what's in No Way Home, did No Way Home's explanation of everything work? Yes. No? No, I, I agree. I think it did. I'm no, wondering how you... Say, oh, well, you're wrong. 
I'm wondering how you felt about it coming out of that film. Did it did everything make sense, or did you feel like they were looking for excuses to do what they did? Well, I think it, it sort of made sense. I don't understand how he can be what he is at the end. Yes. Okay. We'll come to that. Um, I know what you mean. Um, but in terms of bringing those other characters from across the multiverse, you feel like it it made sense. Yeah. I mean, it's magic, isn't it? <laughs> Explain it away, magic. True, yeah. But These I mean, there was, Magic. there was reasoning given, though. It only brought through people that knew who Spider-Man was. Yeah, magic. <laughs> the multiverse picked people very, very carefully. Okay, so the, the big elephant in the room, there are there are a number of cameos in here, which, you know, if you manage to stay unspoiled going into the film, would probably leave you on the floor. Uh, if you did have any inkling as to what was going on, I'm sure you were still very, very excited, as we were, but at least you kind of knew what was coming. So, Charlie Cox... Very exciting, but very underwhelmed at the same time. Apparently, you are now expecting to see him everywhere. So the way it's being talked about by the kind of the scoopers of the internet is that he is very much going to be a constant now. That he may he is likely to turn up in She Hulk. I mean, she is a she is a lawyer, so so is, is she? he. So that's what she does as a day job. Um, he is going to likely to turn up in Echo, which will pick up with what happened with Kingpin and the finale of Hawkeye. And then he's supposed to be turning up somewhere else as well, and I can't quite remember what that was off the top of my head. But apparently you're going to be seeing a lot of Charlie Cox. And actually, just tipping back to The Matrix quickly, Jessica Henwick, why do we know her from Marvel? I don't know their names. She was Colleen Wing in Iron Fist. Oh, yeah. Is then Bugs in Matrix. So whilst promoting The Matrix, she was asked kind of about um, Marvel and that whole scenario. And she's... Because we, we learned recently that she was up for a role in Shang-Chi, but chose to do The Matrix over Shang-Chi. Um, she said that she very much held on to to Colleen and doing The Matrix rather than Shang-Chi because she hopes to come back as Colleen at some point but knows nothing about it. And she kind of let slip that Charlie has known for two or three years, kind of since Endgame-ish times that he would be turning up in the MCU as, as Daredevil. So it seems he's known for a while and there's a big plan for him. Equally, there is a plan for Kingpin, so we're going to have to talk about the Hawkeye finale at some point. Uh, I did feel at the end of that film like we'd all been so excited when he appeared and at the end of the film it was like, oh, and Charlie Cox was in it too. I think he got kind of got gazumped by what happens afterwards, but I mean, if anybody was going to be playing Daredevil in the MCU, I'm glad it's him. Yeah, he's a good Daredevil. Next of the cameos, Andrew Garfield. Da, da, da. The Amazing Spider-Man shows up, followed by, obviously, Tobey Maguire, the original live-action Spider-Man. Give me your thoughts on those two returning. Very exciting. I did think at one point that Tobes wasn't going to put the costume on because I thought, oh, he's a bit old now. Yeah. But then he did. It's very exciting. Or did and... he? Was it? Or did he? Was it CGI? No, I think they suited up. Oh, okay. I mean, we've seen pictures of... There are there are costume design leaks that show like the three Spider Man's costumes hanging together in wardrobe and stuff. I'm sure they did put them on. I mean I'm sure there was a great deal of CGI in there as well. What about the interactions between all three of them then? How was I mean, again, we've still only seen this film once, so there's probably things that we're forgetting about, but how did you feel about seeing the three of them interact together? I mean it was magical. <laughs> there's magic from start to finish. The whole thing. I thought they had a really great relationship and really great chemistry straight off the bat. Magical. Tom Holland said it really well in an interview, saying that they're the only three people who have played this character 
in live action on the big screen. Let's not forget that there was a live action show in the 70s and the Japanese Spider-Man show as well. But in terms of like big Hollywood movies, these are the only three people that have ever played this part. So they have something in common that no one else in the world has. So that kind of gives them a bond from the start. So I just, I, yeah, it was funny. I thought they wrote the dialogue between them all really well as well. So giving Andrew Garfield a chance to redeem himself for what happened in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, his kind of lack of confidence, um, Toby saying, you're the amazing Spider-Man, which ah, is the title of his movie. Um, Toby talking about having a bad back because there's quite a few times in his films he does get dropped on his back. So that all of that I thought was really funny. And then the jealousy over the Avengers and having four aliens as well. Yeah. When Tom's like, I've been in a group with the Avengers. And they're like, is that a band? Are you in a band? I just think it's really well done. Did you have a favourite of the of the two returning? Probably Andrew, but then he's a lovable guy. I think 90% of the internet would agree with you, uh, given that Make the Amazing Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man 3 and Bring Back Andrew Garfield has basically been trending for the couple of weeks since the film was released. He sort of drew the other two together, I think. He was the glue. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. And I feel like, if anything, we... He was the the web. (laughs) But do you feel like it sort of closed the door on Tobey Maguire it was almost like Tobey Maguire had a victory lap and Andrew Garfield was reintroduced well I suppose Tobey's had his three hasn't he mm, yeah. not that three's the maximum no no because as we know Tom Holland will be back for more but you know after dancing I mean no, his time was done yeah it was nice for him to come back and say toodaloo I did worry that they were going to kill him off yeah I did, there was a part of me at one point that I thought, oh God, we're gonna we're coming into this film with three Spider-Men and we're going out of it with two. But thankfully we did not. I think a lot more was given to Andrew Garfield, though. There was We got a bit of catch-up as to what Tobey Maguire's been up to in the years since, which was nice. But I feel like... I guess maybe Andrew Garfield got a raw deal anyway, because although maybe that second film of his is not as well-received critically, I feel like fans loved him and loved his version of the character and what was happening in that world. Yeah. So it did feel like they took time to address what happened to him after the second film, which was not necessarily a nice story. Sounded like he'd had a rough time. And then to give him a redemption and to give him some really emotional moments in the story as well, particularly in redeeming himself for the death of Gwen. And so I just I, don't, I feel like there's just more legroom in his character. Yeah, he's got more room to grow with, hasn't he? Yeah. And there are no rumours that he is being lined up for more Marvel projects. Supposedly the two of them are being roped in for Secret Wars, which is filming at the moment for for Disney+. Plus. Which, I mean, the Secret Wars uh, comic book does feature multiple Spider-Men, so there is a precedent there for them to appear more. I I don't know. Would you like to see more of them? Or do you think, as amazing as it was and as much as you might like to see more of them, they should just put them to bed now? Well, you don't need ruin a bad thing really you've had it yeah it's nice if you have more of it is it going to be any better that's the thing i i want more but i don't know if we should have more i mean i'd like more andrew (laughs) but on a maybe on a standalone basis yeah well in a film not in a weird situation i did wonder why you're going with that i mean Um, i wouldn't say no to that either but yeah (laughs) right (laughs) so i mean there is venom let's let's just 
let's cut to the chase in terms of the end credits. Uh, Tom Hardy may have been shafted slightly in terms of what happened at the end of his film. Oh, massively, bless him. <sighs> yeah. So I I have really mixed feelings about this because on the one hand, it's kind of a funny joke to say that Venom was in the MCU. I mean, Venom is now in the MCU, but to say that Tom Hardy's Venom, I may have just said Tom Holland a second ago. Uh, that's just going to get confusing. Um, to say that Tom Hardy's Venom was in the MCU, albeit for a couple of hours and then left and then left behind some of the symbiote so that there is still the chance to do a Venom on it on Marvel's terms rather than Sony's. But do we I mean Venom goes back to his universe with knowledge of Spider-Man. So But does he remember? Well, we don't know that he remembers, maybe he doesn't. But if he in his next film has memories of the MCU and Spider-Man. I feel like that has to have consequences. Like maybe Venom 3 will see him seeking out the Spider-Man of his Earth. If there is one. I mean, we know that there aren't necessarily these people on every Earth because we know it's now established that there is no Norman Osborn in the MCU. He does not exist. Or if he exists, he is not in any way near the same position that he was in in any of the other universes, which does beg the question of who invented the spider that bit Peter that made him become Spider-Man. But let's just ignore that for now. Um, yeah, that was weird as well. Yeah, but what's not to say that on Tom Hardy's Venom's Earth, there wasn't a Spider-Man who disappeared into the darkness after the death of his loved one, Gwen... I Gwen Stefani. Gwen <laughs> Stacy, who then is has been magically brought over to another universe alongside Venom and travelled back and is now back in action again. And suddenly Venom 3 is Venom versus Spider-Man, only we all thought it was going to be Tom Holland and it's actually Andrew Garfield. Oh, maybe. Or maybe something happens in Doctor Strange with the multiverse of madness. Well, yes, there's, that's the other kind of hidden factor here is that we don't know what's going to happen at the end of Multiverse of Madness. So you could have the X-Men, you just don't know. Uh, so that's probably a good time to talk about Multiverse of Madness because the second end credit scene in No Way Home was the first trailer for Multiverse of Madness. So what did you think of that? I'm curious to see what's going to happen with it and what it's how it's all going to work. I'm still not sure about it. Okay. Did you like what you saw in the trailer? You didn't see a lot in the trailer, did you? No, they were very guarded with it, which is very clever. I'm excited. I would like to see more. I'm concerned by how much they're reshooting. That's a worry as well. Not because I feel like they think it's bad, but the rumours are that supposedly they're just throwing more and more cameos into it because people dug what they did in No Way Home so much. But there is a chance that you'll just have too many nods to too many things and it will take away from any more meaningful aspect of the story. Yeah. We didn't touch on one of the biggest moments in No Way Home, which we probably should do as much as I would rather not. Oh, let's not. <laughs> but do you... Okay, so there has been no presence of Uncle Ben in the MCU in terms of, you know, that wasn't a, a motivator for him becoming Spider-Man. The only real reference to him is the suitcase from Far From Home. And so, rightfully, to give all three Spider-Men a with great power comes great responsibility moment, we give that responsibility to May. I think that was a brilliant idea. And I think that worked incredibly well. Do you think that giving her that moment worked? Yeah, but it was too sad. <laughs> Obviously, we're talking about the fact that Aunt May dies. It's just too sad. Because then they think, oh, she's fine. Oh, no. Oh, God. She's I mean, there was no way she was fine. Yeah. 
There was no way she was fine. But then you think, oh, Marvel, no consequences. But there was a consequence, so well done. Yeah, there, there was a consequence. I don't think they'll be bringing her back. She is well and truly done. I thought that was an incredibly well done moment. Um, I thought it was interesting who they gave that moment to and who was the one that got to kill her. I thought it was a great emotional motivator for for Tom Holland's character. So I think I think fair play Marvel. That was a that was a brave decision, or should I say Marvel and Sony? It was a brave decision. It was a bold decision, and I'm I'm glad that they took a chance on doing something like that in a film which could easily have been overshadowed by all of the other things that were going on. Too sad, though. <laughs> uh, let's just touch on some of the production values a bit before we do the end of the film. Um, brilliant score, Michael Giacchino, once again, absolutely smashing it out of the park. CGI, visual effects, all fine for you. Any dodgy moments? There are a couple of dodgy moments with the three Spider-Men. Yeah. And there's a couple a of rubbery. moments that look like the heads were just like stuck onto a body that wasn't really dangerous. Yeah, there were a couple of those moments, weren't they? Like when Tom Holland wears the Iron Spider, it just seems like he's a bit of a floating head at times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there were some bits I was like, ooh, that's a bit click and drag. To be honest, let's let's look at this objectively. If Sony were hedging their bets on the success of this franchise, this film was around, I think, 200 million to make, and its opening weekend was in excess of kind of 400, 500 million. And where we're, where we're recording this podcast now, so we're recording this on the 3rd of January, so we've just had its third weekend in the box office, and it's just shy of $1.4 billion. So... We're not. This is this is now Sony's highest-grossing film of all time, and it's now the, I think it's the twelfth highest-grossing movie of all time, by itself. We're talking about a film that has grossed more money than Infinity War. We're talking about a film that is probably not going to gross as much as Endgame, but Endgame made just over two billion. Spider-Man is now only kind of six, seven hundred million behind, and that's comparing a film that does not have a massive ensemble cast of A-listers that came out pre-COVID and this is a film with a lesser cast being released in a time when not all cinemas are open and very importantly to note this film doesn't have a Chinese release date uh, and China is a huge Marvel market so China alone uh, was $200 million for Far From Home so if, if No Way Home was out in China and was looking at the same if not bigger numbers then we'd be saying right now this film's at 1.6 1.7 billion which then puts it only four five hundred million behind endgame so i think it's fair to say that this film is very 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 big and put spider-man on a new level so i would imagine we'll probably see even higher production values maybe in the future i mean it might be a smaller scale movie but with more effort put into some of the production behind it what you're saying is people love the Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, people, without doubt, absolutely love the Spider-Man. And despite Omicron and everything, people have turned out again and again and again and again to see this film in the last three weeks. So, fair play. Biggest film of 2021. Going into 2022 was one of the biggest films ever in the history of cinema. Fair play. Let's just talk about that ending a bit, because you mentioned that you weren't sure about where he is at the ending. Do you want to just touch on that slightly? Well, they say that everybody for, for has forgotten who Peter Parker is. Yeah, and Doctor Strange phrases it as people don't know that he exists, which I think is the problem. Yeah, so how does he have, you know, how does he get an apartment? How does he have social security? Just like an, an identification? Yeah. 
you know, who is he? I suppose it's, I think it's in the phrasing of what Doctor Strange says to him. I don't think what he means is you never existed. He means nobody can remember the fact that you exist. You're kind of that person that they'll talk to and then they'll be like, who was that? Yeah, but then does that mean the doctor that gave birth to him doesn't remember, therefore there's not a birth certificate, there's no paper trail? It's difficult, isn't it? It's all a bit... Yeah. But it puts him in a very classic comic book position for Pete, which, okay, he doesn't have an Aunt May, which is very sad, and there's not a situation that he would normally be in. And he's not with MJ, but he's in the lonely apartment. He doesn't have a job. He's not completed college. But he has kind of wholly accepted his identity as Spider-Man and taken on a very classic costume, which I want to see a high-res image of, please. Yeah, I suppose, because he's, he's been a Spider-Man that's had a lot of backing and support from Stark. Yep. Now he's got nothing. Yep. And interesting that this film ends at Christmas, and obviously there are mentions of things in Spider-Man and Hawkeye. They're kind of happening at the same time. So there's some crossover there. Very, very small amount of crossover. I agree with you. I, it's it is a bit troubling. It's it's said very nonchalantly how the world will know of Peter Parker, and then he's there because I I felt like from the wording of it he was going to be kind of living under a bridge somewhere, completely destitute because he doesn't have anything, can't have anything, um, and I can I'm confused over certain aspects of it. So obviously, MJ, when we see her next, um, at the very very end of the film when she doesn't know who he is, still has her her injuries from the big fight at uh, the Statue of Liberty. So does she just think that she happened to be at the Statue of Liberty when this attack happened? Does she remember that she was working with Spider-Man? Because people remember Spider-Man because there is a news report that talks about, you know, this is what happened, the Battle of Spider-Man at Statue of Liberty. People know what happened there. So surely all of the Avengers know that they worked with Spider-Man, but then surely don't know who he is. So all he has to do is go to Doctor Strange and be like, hey, remember me from all that stuff that went on? Here's who I am. And has to rebuild the relationship. I'm just... My un, my level of being unsure about it is how much it actually has an impact moving forward. Well, I just saw it as a way for Sony to be like, thank you very much, Marvel. We've made a shitload of money here. We no longer need you. We're going back to being outside of the universe. Well, there is that. I was that, You've just taken the words right out of my mouth, which was it, it was an easy get-out-of-jail-free card if the relationship was to end here, which it's not. So We're going to build a room. We've got Venom. People love him as well. Yeah. Bish, bash, bosh. So I guess we'll just have to see. Sony is dedicated to, you know, Spider-Man being in cinemas every two years. So 2023, we should be seeing another Spider-Man film. So in the meantime, he's got... Um, He's already lined up for his next Marvel appearance. We don't know where that is, but it is planned where he will be in the MCU next, so he'll be cropping up somewhere. Um, for all we know, he'll turn up in Multiverse of Madness to be like, um, help, remember me? Uh, so, do you recommend Spider-Man No Way Home? Yes, but it's very sad. <laughs> I wholeheartedly recommend this film as well. Spider-Man No Way Home is in cinemas globally now and will be for quite some time, I would imagine. Uh, If you want to let us know what you thought of this film or The Matrix that we talked about earlier in this podcast, or you'd like to let us know what your favourite moments from 2021 were, then you can find us on social media at GetYourComicCon on uh, Facebook. Why did that come to mind first? Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Neil Varg and Martin's at Boy Wonder 1989 
I have one last topic to discuss just before we wrap things up, which is things we're looking forward to in 2022, because that was supposed to be the podcast that was coming out this week. So we're kind of mashing the last one with the first one. I'm going to just quickly rattle off some films that are due out this year. You've got the 355, which is in cinemas on Friday from Universal. We've got Scream in cinemas on the 14th of January. Morbius on the 28th. Death on the Nile on the 11th of Feb. Uncharted on the 18th of Feb, The Batman, which is now releasing in the UK on March the 2nd, and the US and the rest of the world on March the 4th. Doctor Strange 2, on my list in front of me is March, but it's actually now May. Sonic 2, which is out in April. Thor Love and Thunder, which has shifted back as well. I need to update my list. DC Super Pets in May. Uh, There was John Wick Fall, but that shifted back 12 months. We've got Top Gun Maverick. We've got Jurassic World Dominion. There's a new Minions film. There's Fantastic Beasts 3. We've got Black Adam this year. We've got The Flash. We've got a Super Mario Brothers movie coming. We've got Spider-Man, Spider-Verse 2, Halloween Ends, Aquaman 2 this year. What are you looking forward to? Batman. (laughs) Anything else on that list? Batman. Anything else on that list? Uh, Batman's appearance in The Flash. Okay. Do you... Okay, so... I'm an executive at Warner Brothers. I'm really, really happy with The Flash. I go to the cinema and watch Spider-Man Into the No Way Home. What am I thinking? You're thinking, oh, damn it, we're behind. <laughs> I do wonder how Warner Brothers will react to that and whether they're thinking, do we need to, you know, do Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton need to appear in a scene together if they weren't already, which supposedly <sighs> they are not. Oh, maybe they should. Yeah. Uh, me, I and am really hats. looking forward to... I can't wait to see Scream. I'm really looking forward to seeing The Batman. I'm really looking forward to The Flash. I'm really looking forward to Jurassic World. I'm looking forward to everything this year. There was a lot. I don't... Picard was back in February. We've got the rest of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. Season 3 of Lower Decks. There's so much Star Trek this year. Strange New Worlds. There is a huge amount to look forward to this year. As long as cinemas remain open. I mean, they're not going to close. We're we're not in that position. That's not even a thing that I am entertaining at this point in time. I'm seeing the 355 this week at a screening for Universal, so we'll probably be talking about that the next time we are podcasting. Uh, That is reduced capacity to 75%, though, so they are they're distancing us reporter types so that you know we don't cough over each other. Seems sensible. (laughs) Yes, it does. Uh, What are you looking forward to most out there? Get in touch. Let us know. We will be back in two weeks' time where I actually have a a little plan of what we will be talking about in this first part of the year. So uh, we should be talking about Scream when we return for our next podcast because it will be out in cinemas by then as well as probably 355 and what we've been watching on TV lately. I was going to scream then, but I decided against Ah. it. (laughs) So until next time, stay safe, stay well, enjoy. Let us know what you've been watching. Bye. Bye.